0: Welcome one and all. I have an excellent episode for you today, but if you missed the announcement, let me catch you up. I realized recently that I've been working an unhealthy number of hours that had been going on for a while, but really got exacerbated after the election. There's been an explosion of content that I am trying to sort through and consume, which I think is making the show better, but is taking me more time. So I'm trying to implement a bunch of policies that will all work together to create a more sustainable work environment for me and the same high-quality show that you already know and love. So one of the ideas... That I'm working with at the moment is to cut down on the number of episodes per month. It's possible that will only be temporary. We'll see how all of my other strategies work together to cut down on my uh, work hours. But for the time being, I'm cutting down to six episodes per month instead of eight. So as promised, there will be two rerun episodes. This is one of those. It is, I I will admit, not an uplifting episode, but a very important topic. So I hope you listen to it. It's from a few years ago, but it's evergreen and and full of great uh, material. So stick around for that. I just have a few quick... Uh, comments I want to make before that. First of all, as part of this whole transition strategy, even though I'm trying to cut down on my total amount of work, I'm also using it as an opportunity to give more to the members. So during these times when I put a rerun out that is available to everyone, I also post additional bonus content in which Amanda, who does our activism and our social media and also happens to be my girlfriend, we sit down in front of the mic together and have a conversation about this or that. Uh, So far, we have been discussing Uh, Well, I, I did a sort of behind the scenes discussion about how I came to the conclusion of how to craft a recent commentary. It was the one about the way conservatives see gay and trans people. And the story behind how I came to that conclusion and some more of my thoughts behind it, I think were interesting enough to share. So that was a bonus episode. And in addition, uh, members should have received today, if you check your feed, it should already be there, uh, another episode about how we talk to each other. That is often framed these days in terms of how liberals and conservatives talk to each other and how are we ever going to bridge this divide. But this time, Amanda and I decided to focus specifically on how progressives talk to each other, there appears to be a large divide between different wings of the leftist, progressivist, liberalist, Democratic Party-ish movement, and so we try to dive into that and pick out you know what what's going on and, and try to explain that. So that's the kind of bonus content we've been putting out there. If you think you're a member but you haven't been getting that, check that you actually are subscribed to the Members Only feed. And on that topic, another big announcement I have finally at long last implemented a Patreon page. This is something I've been putting off for years for a while. I thought that they didn't have all of the features that I needed them to have to really support you know a, a high quality experience for the members and to get a nice uh, feed that produces all of the content, regular and bonus members-only stuff, and now they appear to have worked out all those problems. It's possible they worked it out a long time ago, and I just didn't notice, but the uh, the Patreon page is up and running. I actually like it so much that's going to become the standard go-to place for membership donations, and uh, the, one of the best features about it, from your perspective, is that they give the option between PayPal and a standard credit card all working together in one system. So whether you love or hate PayPal, you are all set to go. You can find us either directly on patreon.com, search for Best of Left, we will absolutely come up, or as usual, at bestofleft.com, you click the Contribute tab, and all of the new and refreshed details are there for signing up on Patreon. Finally, last comment, I want to remind you that this is the last week you can vote for the show on the podcast awards. You can go to podcastawards.com, fill out their submission form to nominate this show in the news and politics category, but you can also nominate any other shows you like in all of the other categories. All of the shows, including this one, who have taken the time and put in the energy to get themselves signed up for the podcast awards, will absolutely appreciate if you take just a couple of minutes of your time to go and nominate them in their respective categories and try to move them on to the next round for professional judging and potential awards that they can brag about for years to come. So that's all I've got for you. Members, be sure to enjoy your bonus content. If you're not already a member or you are a member but you want to switch, Head over to patreon.com and sign up. And finally, nominate us for a podcast award. And now, enjoy today's show. This program is made possible by the members and donors to the show. For details, visit the Contribute tab at bestoftheleft.com. Now, welcome to the award-winning Best of the Left podcast with clips today from La Show, The Majority Report, The David Packman Show, One for Ten Films, All In with Chris Hayes, Test Tube, The Rachel Maddow Show, Democracy Now!, and The Young Turks.
1: Who really are the third world men who are the barbarians? Well, we here in the United States twice this week executed mentally impaired prisoners, despite Supreme Court rulings that say don't do that. Texas executed an intellectually disabled prisoner. This week, Robert Ladd died by lethal injection. Under Texas's unique and widely ridiculed definition of intellectual disability, according to the Guardian, he was deemed capable of being executed because he did not match the degree of mental impairment depicted in a character in a John Steinbeck novel. Who says fiction isn't relevant anymore? In a final statement, Ladd addressed the sister of his victim by name, telling her he was really, really sorry. A revenge death won't get you anything, he said. Then he told the warden, ''Let's ride!'' As the drug took effect, he said, "'Stings my arm, man.'" The death of Ladd exposed a flaw in the normally stringent safeguards imposed by the federal courts on the death penalty states, although the states are generally allowed to set their own standards. The Supreme Court has ruled twice on the issue of disability of the intellect, setting the parameters of humane and civilized conduct. In a ruling in 2002 and again last year, the Supreme Court banned executions of people with mental retardation on the grounds that that was a form of cruel and unusual punishment prohibited by the Eighth Amendment. It also said the death penalty states had to conform to standards set by medical science and not impose their own arbitrary definitions of mental disability. Yet, two prisoners who were categorically found to be mentally impaired by numerous medical experts were put to death. The first was in Georgia on Tuesday. Texas put lad to sleep by lethal injections to sleep, having deemed him not sufficiently mentally impaired according to its criterion for the condition. Under what is known as the Briseño factors, the state sets out the profile of an individual whom ordinary Texans would agree was intellectually disabled, pointing to Lenny, the lumbering and childlike character in Of Mice and Men, identifying him as the legal yardstick. are the barbarians one of the ones who don't read novels obviously
2: long time listeners of this program know that I am not a supporter of the death penalty in any circumstance. Uh, And it's not because of its efficacy, although it's not effective. Uh, It's not because of how much it costs. It's simply because. In the context of civil society, when we are not at war, when a person represents no threat to society because we have the ability to put them in jail and keep them there. I don't believe that. The state should have the authority. To kill someone. In cold blood. And. I don't think it's healthy for society to be getting the message. There are times where it's okay to kill in cold blood. Now, with that said, though. This story of two men, 30 years. After their convictions in the rape and murder of an 11 year old girl in rural North Carolina, which was based on confessions that they gave the police and then quickly repudiated and said were co- coerced, two mentally disabled half brothers were declared innocent and ordered released Tuesday of this week by a judge. The case against the man fell apart 30 years after their conviction, after DNA evidence implicated another man whose possible involvement had somehow been overlooked by the authorities, even though he lived only a block from where the victim's body was found and had admitted to committing a similar rape and murder around the time. 30 years these two men have been in prison took place in Robeson County. The Superior Court judge said he was vacating the convictions. And Mr. McCollum, 50 years old now, vacating his death sentence. His half-brother, Leon Brown, is now 46 years old. The two uh, defendants were prosecuted by Joe Freeman Britt. A Bible quoting district attorney who was later profiled by 60 Minutes as the country's deadliest DA because he sought the death penalty so often. Now, not only is this a case where it is clear we could have killed an innocent man, it's also a case that the Supreme Court in 94 refused to review wherein Justice Anton Scalia described Mr. McCollum's crime as so heinous that it would be hard to argue against lethal injection. That if there was one instance which proved the need for the death penalty, it was this one. And he cited this case in other situations as well. Or oh, I should say, he cited this case in in rejecting another case in '94. He wrote at that time, the case of an 11-year-old girl raped by four men and then killed by stuffing her panties down her throat. Scalia wrote in rejecting a different case, Callens v. Collins. How enviable a quiet death by lethal injection compared with that. McCollum was on uh, death row for 12 years at that time. He's now. Uh It was 30 years when he was released. Further, McCollum was not only used as an example of someone who should die in a death penalty case. Back in 2010, the North Carolina Republican Party put McCollum's booking photograph on campaign flyers that accused a Democratic candidate of being soft on crime. absolutely stunning I don't know how anybody can support the death penalty after hearing something like this McCollum was 19 Brown was 15 when they were picked up by the police after five hours of questioning with no lawyer present and his mother weeping in the hallway not allowed to see him McCollum told a story about how he and three other youths attacked and killed the girl. I had never been under this much pressure with a person hollering me and threatening, McCollum said in a a recent interview for the News and Observer. I just made up a story and gave it to them so they'd let me go home. He signed a statement written in longhand by investigators. And then he asked, can I go home now? Before the night was done, his half brother was uh, told that McCullum had confessed and facing similar threats that he could be executed if he didn't cooperate. Brown also signed a confession. It is exactly like the Central Park Five. You see the videotape of the Central Park Five kids confessing to crimes they clearly did not commit, they just didn't know any better. They thought if they gave the confession, the police would let them go home. And in this instance, you have two mentally disabled kids. Just stunning.
3: Questions running through my brain, all the answers still so fake. And that doubles all my pain. I'm surrounded by the cell. About what used to be I'm not doing all that well Facing me, death penalty Now look at my arms See love pumping through my veins No, I don't wanna die I wish that I was born again In the mirror I see eyes Sad but also snow but night So study cause it's mine
4: The state bar of Texas has filed a formal misconduct accusation against the prosecutor who secured a conviction in one of the country's most dubious and disputed death penalty cases. And the complaint alleges that John Jackson, who was at the time an assistant district attorney, withheld evidence that pointed to the innocence of Cameron Willingham, who was executed under Rick Perry's watch in 2004 for the murder of his three young daughters who died in a house fire in 1991. The, the, the complaint says before, during, and after the 1992 trial, ADA Jackson knew of the existence of evidence that tended to negate the guilt of Willingham and failed to disclose the evidence to defense counsel. The complaint also says that Jackson late, by the way, later became a judge, went very far to get favorable treatment for Johnny Webb. Johnny Webb is the man who testified that Willingham had started the fire in question and the complaint also says Jackson dishonestly told a court he had no other evidence that might help Willingham's defense which of course he would be obligated to disclose Jackson maintains he did nothing wrong he insists that Willingham who was 23 at the time of the deaths was guilty of arson however this Johnny Webb who was the one that said, oh yeah, it was Willingham who started the fire. Webb recanted the testimony in the year 2000. Remember, the execution took place in 2004. Okay. Of course, we should try to have prosecutors who will not do this, but there is no way to undo prosecutorial misconduct if you've already killed the convicted Innocent person in this particular case. You can give the family money. You can punish the prosecutor, but you can't bring back the man that died because of the prosecutor's misconduct. And I agree that there's a broader conversation here about using jailhouse informant testimony because it's way too easy for a prosecutor to convict innocent people by finding someone in the jail to say, Oh yeah, he confessed to me. That's one conversation. But the conversation Uh around the death penalty is the bigger one here
0: it is and it has to go um the, there's just an assumption that uh, that the judges and that the prosecutors and that uh, those giving testimony that everything just works perfectly and uh, and we're to accept that but no it's it's not a perfect system by any means
4: and i'm not and- trying to excuse the incarceration of people who are innocent but what i'm saying is you can compensate someone for that you you ruin their life often taken the the most valuable years of their uh, income producing uh lifetime but you cannot possibly compensate someone when you've put them to death
0: right and even when you have someone who admits to a crime oftentimes they are doing that under you know duress or there's a coercion and so even then you can't say with certitude that um that they necessarily committed the crime that we're talking about
4: 32 states have the death penalty, 18 have abolished it, that's 36% of states. It has to go. It just simply has to go.
5: For people who are considering this issue, what they have to remember is that it's not just the cost of prosecuting and putting a person on death row. There's also the cost of keeping them there. Because when they're on death row, they get further appeals. And those may last more than a decade.
6: The cost of a death sentence is about $3 million, based on some good studies cost of keeping somebody in prison uh, for life, even with their, their trial, is about $1.1 million. So three times as expensive to get the death penalty if you count all the costs.
5: In California, we know that um, the state has spent since 1978 $4 billion on the death penalty above the cost of life in prison without possibility of parole. So if those same individuals had received life in prison without possibility of parole, the state would have saved four billion dollars. These are the sort of choices
0: that politicians can make. They can fix the potholes in the street, they can fix the schools, they can pay teachers more, they can buy laptops for kids, they can hire an additional two or three hundred police officers,
6: or or,
0: they can seek the death penalty in one case. joining these actions and helping amplify the show to get even more people involved is critical to our mission to change the world for the better get started right now in the show notes on the device you're using or visit the website from any device at bestoftheleft.com
6: In the wake of several botched executions last year stemming from a drug shortage death penalty states across the country are scrambling to improvise just yesterday the utah state legislature passed a solution of its own bring back the firing squad and it could hardly be worse than the status quo he
0: began kicking his feet lifting his head and his chest off the gurney grimacing uh, clenching his teeth, and in a couple moments, he actually mumbled.
6: It was intended to be a routine execution in a country that routinely executes its prisoners. It quickly turned into a spectacle when an untested drug combination did not kill Oklahoma inmate Clayton Lockett as intended. Shortly after the state began pumping a lethal combination of drugs into the arm of Clayton Lockett, convicted of shooting a woman and burying her alive, something went wrong. Lockett died in the execution chamber 43 minutes after drugs were first administered. The state of Oklahoma temporarily halted all other executions.
7: The state needs to be certain of its protocols and its procedures for executions and that they work.
6: The same scene played out again in Arizona just a few months later with Joseph Wood.
0: He would open his mouth and you'd see his chest move and it would go all the way down to
2: his stomach. So it was a clear gasp, you know, and it just sort of looked like a fish opening and closing his mouth. After an hour and 57 minutes, the state pronounced him dead. The
6: botched executions were a result of untested lethal drug cocktails, the consequence of a drug shortage. All 32 death penalty states are struggling to find lethal injection drugs after suppliers said they no longer wanted any part of capital punishment. Some states are turning to compounding pharmacies, but refusing to
8: disclose the sources.
6: Faced with the bureaucratic issues of pulling off the death penalty in 2015, legislators in Utah are looking at a solution that would turn back the clock almost 40 years. Death by firing squad.
9: His name was Gary Gilmore, but it is only by an accident of timing that we are talking about him tonight. About him and what happened here at the Utah State Prison today. For what we are really talking about is each of us. Our society and the fact that our nation, as of today, is back in the business of capital punishment.
6: Gary Gilmore was the first person to be executed in this country after the Supreme Court reinstated the death penalty in 1976. A Utah firing squad carried out the punishment. I heard three noises in quick, rapid succession. If there were more or fourth, then they overlapped. Bang, bang, bang. Like that. And death by firing squad was last used in Utah when inmate Ronnie Lee Gardner chose it as his preferred method of execution in 2010.
10: It was shortly after midnight here when Gardner was led into this execution chamber, strapped to this chair, and asked if he had any final words.
2: To which Mr. Gardner replied, I do not. Following the statement, a hood was placed over Mr. Gardner's uh, head. Five sharpshooters took aim at his heart and fired. Mr. Gardner was pronounced dead at 12.17 this morning.
6: But Utah banned the firing squad in 2004. Gardner was grandfathered in. Now lawmakers are trying to bring it back.
11: A controversial bill passed by lawmakers in Utah is getting lots of attention this morning. The bill would allow death by firing squad if there weren't enough drugs to carry out an execution by lethal injection.
6: Here's how the process worked in the past. The inmate was brought into a specifically designed execution chamber, a room 20 feet by 24 feet. Strapped to a black chair, a hood was placed over the head. A white circular target was pinned to the inmate's chest to mark the heart, the location identified by a prison doctor. Anonymous local police officers were brought in. It's made up of five people behind a curtain, all shooting from matching rifles. One bullet is a blank, so the riflemen never know who fired the deadly shot. The current bill's champion, state lawmaker Paul Ray, says the whole thing is a more civilized alternative to drug cocktails.
1: A Utah legislator says even when it goes well, lethal injection can be painful. Even the ones that are the regular drug cocktail, you still see the gurgling and the fighting to breathe. But he described his idea to use a firing squad as a backup more humane. No, it's an instant death. Be honest with you, a lot of these people are dead before they
6: hear the gun. A firing squad may seem barbaric. But unlike the current scramble for gray market drugs, at least it's reliable. So is beheading, Saudi Arabia's method of choice, or hanging, how Iran executes its prisoners. All these methods may be brutal, but they are at least honest, because maybe there is no humane way for the state to put someone to death.
12: Injections have been in the news a lot lately, and it's never about who's getting executed or whether or not people should even be executed. It's all about the weird chemical cocktails and procedural minutiae they use for it. So why should you care? Well, there's one simple reason. All this lethal injection stuff really boils down to the Eighth Amendment. It's what stops the government from committing cruel and unusual punishment, including torture. Now some of you are thinking, we've done lethal injections in the past and they were never considered cruel or unusual, so why are we asking this question now? Thing is, back then our normal or usual injection included three parts. First part was sodium thiopental, which knocks the prisoner out another drug that relaxes their muscles and stops their breathing, and a third drug which stops their heart altogether, ultimately killing them. It's pretty dark, but that's just the way we've been doing things. Nowadays, that first part, sodium thiopental, is no longer on the market, so states cannot kill people using the usual method. Instead they have to get a replacement drug from compound pharmacies, which are largely unregulated. These drugs are a new element in the lethal injection cocktail, and they're also untested, so no one can say for sure that they don't influence to undue pain. So, potentially, they could be both cruel and unusual, which is not only bad, it's illegal. Adding to all of this, some states have secrecy laws in place, so the public, and more shockingly, the inmates, have no way of knowing what exactly is in their lethal injection cocktail. Again, this is a possible violation of the Eighth Amendment, since getting painfully killed by the government via mystery liquid is probably one of the most extreme versions of cruel and unusual punishment. So until all these secrecy laws are worked out or ruled unconstitutional, and all of these new drug cocktails are tested and found to be humane, you're going to keep hearing about it, as well you should. You may even want to talk about it yourself, which is a-okay, because these are our rights.
0: As an anti-consumerism advocate, I'd like to encourage you to shop less, don't buy things you don't need, and only buy the necessities from local, independently-owned businesses. That said, if you don't take this good advice, then at least there's a way to shop that helps support this show at the same time. Simply click through to Amazon.com, Amazon.ca, or Amazon.co.uk from the banner at bestofleft.com to shop at just one of the major companies with the insatiable profit incentive to help perpetuate the destructive paradigm of overconsumption and exploitative capital. Better yet, go ahead and click through to the Amazon site that serves your country just once and then bookmark it to use every time you shop, which should be as rarely as possible. Your shopping experience will be identical to normal. It will cost you nothing extra, but 7-8% to 8% of the cost of your order in soulless corporate blood money will be siphoned off and used to tremendously support the production of this show. Thanks for doing the right thing, whether that be rejecting consumerism altogether or at least consuming in a subversive way.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, you probably heard the story that uh, I think we made much of the national news this week regarding a woman's execution in Georgia having been postponed for the second time. This time because of concerns about the drugs to be used in the execution. Kelly Giesendonner was scheduled to die Monday. Prior to the execution, the drugs were sent to an independent lab for testing of potency, said the Georgia Department of Corrections. Within the hours leading up to the scheduled execution, the execution team performed the necessary checks, said the statement. At the time, the drugs appeared cloudy. The Department of Corrections immediately consulted with a pharmacist, and in abundance of caution, the inmate's execution has been postponed. Many states have had problems with the so-called cocktail of three different substances used in uh, lethal injection executions. Many companies have refused to sell those preparations to state governments for that purpose. But now the drugs come up cloudy. Uh, I think just trying to be helpful they might turn for uh, relief to where we all turn these days TV it started out as just a normal end of life day but then I felt the old doubt, the old anxiety when a cocktail of medications be cloudy again That really would spoil everything.
4: A cloudy day can put a sudden stop to the best planned end of
6: life. But now it doesn't have to happen.
3: I got
5: sunshine on a cloudy day. Now
4: there's Exequil, a breakthrough in end of life cocktailing. Thanks to the scientifically engineered enzyme Claritine race, Exequil can't get cloudy no matter how long you store it before
1: use. But does it give me the same three-way effectiveness?
10: Or do I have to use another life-diminishing medication in combination?
1: Yeah, that just makes my life more complicated.
4: Exequil has the same three-way effectiveness as the quasi-medical cocktails you've been using. Stops lungs, heart, and consciousness with just one application. No need to redose. With Exequil,
1: it's one and they're done. We just switched to Exequil. Now our end of life days are problem free. Exequil was in our fridge all during the appeals process, still came out clear as the morning sun in July. Thanks to Exequil, no more cloudy days.
5: I got sunshine.
1: Exequil should not be administered if the patient has recently been prescribed Acucel. Observed side effects of Exequil may include prolonged death, premature death, delayed death, death-like symptoms, and death.
4: I'm End of life cocktailing never looked so
6: clear. Ask someone dressed like a doctor if Exequil is right for you.
9: Started from my experience scuba diving, I just remembered that that is a way of accidental death. Through my training I, uh, in scuba diving, I'd learned that you could accidentally die if you're using a rebreather and never even know it, because the way rebreathers works is kind of complicated. But if your oxygen supply gets stuck and you, you they scrub out your carbon dioxide, you will start breathing a continuous loop of nitrogen, and it doesn't take long. You'll just pass out and die. So, so that's good. I mean, that's painless because you don't even know what's coming on. Nitrogen is inexpensive. It's all around us. You don't need a doctor. You don't need a doctor. Uh,
13: that is uh, Professor Michael Copeland. He is not a doctor or a scientist. He is a criminal justice professor at East Central University in Ada, Oklahoma. Uh, he's also had a lot of other jobs, long career in law and criminal justice, including one stint as assistant attorney general in Palau. Uh, most importantly, though, for how it is that he came to invent the nation's newest legal form of execution, uh, Professor Michael Copeland was also a high school friend of Oklahoma Republican State Representative Mike Christian. Uh, Mike Christian, his high school friend, is a pro-death penalty state legislator. He once filed articles of impeachment against Oklahoma judges who issued a stay of execution for one state prisoner. When the Clayton Lockett execution went off the rails last year in Oklahoma, Representative Mike Christian decided that he should get involved in Oklahoma, rethinking its whole approach to how it kills people.
8: And then the execution was carried out, the execution became problematic, there was there were some issues with that. Again, we got world, world attention. Um, after that, I uh, reached out to a good friend of mine that I've known for years, for, that I grew up with. He, uh, very intelligent college professor said, can you help me find a solution to a problem that exists not only in Oklahoma, but across the country? And that's where we come up with the, the concept of nitrogen hypoxia.
13: Nitrogen hypoxia. What these two high school friends came up with, what they're calling nitrogen hypoxia, uh, is a way basically to go back to killing prisoners with gas uh, but instead of killing prisoners with cyanide gas, like multiple states did with gas chambers in this country, until Arizona did the last one in 1999, instead of cyanide gas, they now want to use nitrogen gas. Our producer, Kate Osborne, went to Oklahoma uh, to ask how this would work exactly.
5: So the process from here would be
12: that the Department of Correction would have to figure out facilities. So they would need to acquire the nitrogen
5: and uh,
8: create a chamber what no, they, they would be able to use the same place you are using now it wouldn't be a chamber it'd just be a, a simple mass this is not a, a gas chamber this is it's not a poison gas it's an inert gas again it's 78 percent of what we breathe you could actually use helium
13: you could actually use helium uh, that, that idea that killing somebody with nitrogen is akin to killing uh, to, to people breathing in helium That became key to the way they sold the Oklahoma legislature on this new idea for how to kill people. There has never been an execution carried out by nitrogen anywhere in the world. Oklahoma is inventing it anew. But this criminal justice professor, Mike Copeland, demonstrated to the Oklahoma legislature just how painless and easy this process would be to use for executions, In part, by showing Oklahoma legislators YouTube videos that he found of people accidentally breathing in too much helium when they were trying to be funny.
9: I thought the legislature would actually want to see what it looks like when a person becomes hypoxic. So this is a teenager that is uh, breathing helium uh, to make their voice sound funny. But they're not really thinking that when they're breathing helium, they're not breathing oxygen. And so she's trying to get as big a breath as she can. And here in a second... She becomes hypoxic. <laughs> so then they get back up and they're giggling and laughing.
13: They showed the state legislature's YouTube videos of kids accidentally passing out by breathing too much helium, but it all working out okay. They also showed state legislators evidence of pilots passing out when pilots accidentally didn't get enough oxygen as part of flying. It was all part of a way to show that it was, this is was really going to be a no problem, brand new, easy, simple, painless way to kill
9: people.
11: So you feel confident
9: that this is humane? I do. Definitely.
3: Have you ever personally seen an execution? No. no. How confident are
5: you that this will work?
8: I'm a 100% positive it will work. I'm 100% po- positive that if all the protocols are done properly, it'll it'll work. I'm
12: wondering, have you ever been to an execution?
8: Never have and never, I don't wish to. Why is that? I just, it's not my Probably, it's probably, probably something I probably should, but I have no wish or desire to, to witness to witness one.
13: And so, thanks to Representative Christians' bill and Professor Copeland's research, and Governor Mary Fallon signing that bill last week, Oklahoma has officially legally invented the nation's newest form of execution: nitrogen. Representative Christian told us that just like the rest of the country followed Oklahoma when Oklahoma invented lethal injection in the late 70s, he says he knows of 19 states that are now looking into following Oklahoma again with Oklahoma's next new big idea. No doctors or scientists were involved in coming up with this new plan in Oklahoma. No doctors or scientists testified about it to the legislature, but based on... The hilarious helium videos uh, based on examples of people inadvertently and unknowingly breathing too much nitrogen like pilots or, or people in industrial accidents based also on people choosing voluntarily to breathe too much nitrogen as a way of trying to kill themselves. Oklahoma is confident that this will work. One political science professor involved in researching the matter for the legislature, though, uh, raised one issue with us that does not seem to have given them any pause when they voted on this thing in Oklahoma. The state Senate vote for nitrogen as a new method of execution was a unanimous vote in Oklahoma. But political science professor Christina Pappas, who helped with the legal research about whether this new method might pass constitutional muster, she raised some worries to us about whether we really have any idea what it would mean to kill people against their will with this method of execution that has never been tried before.
7: The anecdotal data we have shows what happens when someone is exposed to nitrogen, but none of the cases are ever people who are fighting for their life. Do they gasp? if they struggle is it different does is it painful in that instance because you know people who are being led to the death chamber they're not going to just lay there and breathe nicely through a mass they're going to struggle they're going to be you know moving around a lot or do they need to be sedated yeah i have a lot of questions about that because nothing absolutely nothing that we have has to do with someone struggling for their life we've talked about that in our committee um is, is the delivery system, is it a mask, is it a suit, is it a chamber, is it a tent? What is it? If someone's thrashing around, it might be hard to keep that mask on their face, which would prolong their death. So it could be like a long time struggle. And, and yes, that, that troubles me greatly. But we'll see.
13: It's, it's law now in Oklahoma. If their lethal injection protocol is struck down next week at the Supreme Court, this is what they're going with instead somehow. And, and maybe even if the Supreme Court doesn't strike down their lethal injection law, their lethal injection protocols might not work anymore anyway because they just can't get the drugs like lots of states can't get the drugs. In which case, Oklahoma law now says this nitrogen thing is going to be what they'll do instead. Firing squads, hanging, electric chair, gas chamber, lethal injection. Now this is the new one. If they could only sort out how to keep the prisoner from ripping off the gas mask, it'll probably work fine. It might work. We'll see. Who's going to be first to try it?
11: We begin today's show in Boston, where on Friday, a federal judge sentenced 21-year-old Jahar Zanaev to death by lethal injection for setting off bombs at the 2013 Boston Marathon that killed three and injured more than 260. The sentence was issued in Massachusetts, a state which has banned the death penalty since 1987 and has not carried out an execution since 1947. Polls show... 85% 85% of Bostonians oppose the death penalty for Jahar Sanayev, as well as 80% of Massachusetts residents. But the death penalty was allowed because it was a federal trial. In a statement, the ACLU of Massachusetts said, quote, today's verdict does not reflect the values of the majority of people in our Commonwealth. It's an outlier and does not change the fact that Americans increasingly reject capital punishment, unquote. During the sentencing phase of the trial, Sarnayev's lawyers focused on presenting witnesses who could convince jurors he should be sentenced to life without parole instead of death. They argued Jahar Zanaev was a, quote, good kid who fell under the influence of his radical older brother, Tamerlan, and that he is now remorseful. One of the witnesses called was Sister Helen Prejean, a Catholic nun whose story was told in the 1995 movie Dead Man Walking. She met with Sarnayev five times, said he told her of the bombing victims, quote, no one deserves to suffer like they did, unquote. Ultimately, prosecutors prevailed in convincing jurors Sarnayev should be put to death. After the jury deliberated for more than 15 hours and announced its verdict Friday, U.S. Attorney Carmen Ortiz addressed the media.
3: Our goal in trying this case was to ensure that the jury had all of the information that they needed to reach a fair and just verdict. We believe we accomplished that goal and that the trial of this case has shown the world what a fair and impartial jury trial is like. Even in the wake of horror and tragedy, we are not intimidated by acts of terror or radical ideals. On the contrary, the trial of this case has showcased an important American ideal that even the worst of the worst deserve a fair trial and due process of law. Today, the jury has spoken, and Joe Harsinayev will pay with his life for his crimes. Make no mistake. The defendant claimed to be acting on behalf of all Muslims. This was not a religious crime, and it certainly does not reflect true Muslim beliefs. It was a political crime designed to intimidate and to coerce the United States.
11: At least one of the federal jurors was reportedly in tears when the verdict was read. The jury was death qualified, meaning each member had to be open to considering the death penalty. Anyone who opposed it could not serve. Sarnayev's lawyers are now expected to appeal. The process could take more than a decade to finish. Since the federal death penalty was reinstated, just three federal prisoners have been executed, none since 2003. Those still on death row include Ted Kaczynski, known as the Unabomber, and Jared Loughner, who killed six people when he tried to assassinate Congresswoman Gabrielle Giffords. For more, we're joined by three guests. In Boston, James Rooney is with us, president of Massachusetts Citizens Against the Death Penalty. In March, he helped organize a symposium called the Sarnayev Trial, the Federal Death Penalty in Abolitionist Massachusetts. Here in New York, Eric Friedman's with us, professor of constitutional law at Hofstra Law School. He was, he worked on many any death penalty cases. And in New Orleans, Denny LaBeouf is with us, director of the ACLU's John Adams Project, former director of the Capital Punishment Project. She has 26 years experience as a capital defense attorney. We welcome you all to Democracy Now! I wanted to begin in Massachusetts, where the Boston Marathon was. James Rooney, um, you're with Massachusetts Citizens Against the Death Penalty, but can you explain, I think there's a lot of confusion around the country right now, why, if in Massachusetts where there is no death penalty, um, the death penalty was considered. And the response this weekend in Boston and Massachusetts overall to Jahar Zanaev getting the death penalty.
14: Well, as as you explained earlier, Amy, this is a federal case. And the federal government, because it's its own sovereign, gets to uh, have its rules applied in any state, even states that don't have the death penalty. So that here, with a death-qualified jury, as you mentioned, you had 12 people f- from the community who are w- who said they were willing to impose the death penalty if the prosecution showed it. Um, in, in terms of the reaction here, I think it's somewhat of a surprise, given the poll numbers that you mentioned uh, showing that so many people in this state oppose the death penalty, not simply generally, but in this case. Uh, so it, it it doesn't reflect community sentiment here. And it also, re- it, the jury appears to have acted without knowing that the family of the young boy, uh, eight-year-old Martin Richard, who was killed in the bombing, and whom seems to have been the focus of a number of people I talked to who thought that if there was a reason to sentence Jokar Surnaev to death, it was because of the killing of a young child. Um, the Richard family after the guilt version portion of the case had ended uh, wrote a letter which was published in the Boston Globe on the front page saying that they preferred uh, a life sentence in in this case um, the prosecution in this case uh, emphasized its view that uh, that the, the the victims of this crime deserve to have Jokhar Sarnayev put to death, including, uh, the, the, particularly for the killing of this young child. And so the jury acted with, with that in mind, but without knowing that the Richard family opposed, uh, a capital sentence.
11: So, um, in fact, Denny LaBeouf, the pool that was chosen of jurors, can you explain? how that took place, because you're talking about choosing from a true minority of people in Massachusetts, that 85% of Bostonians are against giving the death penalty. Um, How many jurors came out, um, and what was the
5: pool that was chosen from? It's part of the unfairness of this system and the sort of convoluted uh, position that the prosecutors have to put this jury in and how this process occurs you have to ask the jury, it's a process called death qualification you have to ask the jury can you consider a death sentence and it, it, you, they're told don't tell us how you're gonna vote but tell us that you can seriously make a death penalty a possibility if at the end of this process you've convicted him of a death eligible offense and having having picked some death qualified juries in a very catholic city new orleans you you watch as you lose a lot of catholics most of your african-american and other people of color you lose all the people who even for non-religious reasons don't have a strong sense that the authorities, that the government is always right and always tells the truth and always gives you the the straight angle on what's going on and what the facts are and you're instead picking a jury from a very small unrepresentative very conservative conviction prone pool and it's it's the central unfairness of this process that couldn't be more dramatic in this case is this grounds for appeal? No, but, I mean, it's, it, it's certainly, I said, I answered too fast. It's not grounds under current Eighth Amendment jurisprudence. It should be. It's a basic unfairness. And I think as the numbers get stronger, as the United States moves closer and closer to abolition of the death penalty, which we will get, uh there may be revisiting of some of the decisions. We've certainly seen that in the process of of fighting this penalty for many, many years. The the court has looked at a lot of issues.
0: Reached the activism portion of today's show. Now that you're informed and angry, here's what you can do about it. Today's activism: halt all executions. It's pretty simple. Now, one of the big pieces of news going on that's a little under the radar right now that I didn't even have time to cover today is that despite almost tantrum-like resistance from its pro-life governor, Pete Ricketts, Nebraska is about to become the 19th state to abolish the death penalty. With public opinion shifting on capital punishment, other red states are considering similar legislation. Montana came within one vote of outlawing the death penalty in February, and a Republican state representative in Kansas has introduced legislation following the Republican Liberty Caucus coming out in opposition to capital punishment. Still, after Nebraska, we're left with 32 states plus the federal government and the military having the death penalty. In an effort to push for increasing momentum on a federal ban, the National Coalition to Abolish the Death Penalty has a new project co-chaired by Sister Helen Prejean of Dead Man Walking fame, 90 million strong. The goal is to end capital punishment by highlighting the 90 million who oppose the death penalty in this country. At 90millionstrong.org, you can add your name to their Halt All Executions petition, track scheduled executions, and contact legislators who have the power to stop them. Register to vote, an important part of any long-term campaign, and get educated with articles and facts to post to your network with the Halt All Executions hashtag. The segment notes include all of the links to this information as well as additional resources. And as always, this and every activism segment we produce is archived and organized under the activism tab at bestoftheleft.com. If ending state-sanctioned murder, sometimes of innocent people, sometimes of mentally disabled people, and always at an exorbitant cost matters to you, be sure to hit the share buttons to spread the word about hashtag halt all executions via social media so that others in your network can become part of the 90 million strong. Activism.
3: Activism.
5: Come on out from in front of the television. Bust out of your self-imposed media prison. There's a whole big world out there, y'all, and some serious stuff is going down. Civil war intolerance, AIDS obliteration, the usual madness, but not enough frustration about what's troubling Earth's nations. Serious. The spotlight will not be your savior in these dark days, and it will not be your saving grace. Why not replace your dreams of gracing life's stage
10: with action? This is the story of George Stinney. Uh, He was just 14 years old when he was taken by the authorities and charged with a crime. They said that he had killed 11-year-old Betty June Binnaker and 8-year-old Mary Emma Thames. This was back in the year 1944. Now, it turns out he did not do any of those things. And just yesterday, he was exonerated. Finally, the state of South Carolina said he didn't do it. We should not have convicted him. But they didn't just convict him. They executed. Now, I'm going to tell you uh, unfortunately about how that happened, because it's important that you know uh what happened in this country and the remnants of that culture and that history. So, first let's show you George. Uh, you gotta understand the context here. He was just 90 pounds, he was five feet two, he was fourteen years old. They claim that he Uh, killed those girls and threw them in a ditch and that he had the capability of doing this. Now, did they have any evidence on him? Well, they had three cops uh, who said he did it and said that he confessed to it. Did they have any witnesses? No. Did they have any physical evidence? No. Did the cops write down the confession at the time? No. Were there any blacks on the jury in South Carolina back in 1944? No. No. They had uh, a law at the time that said you had to be a voter to be on a jury. But blacks weren't allowed to vote, so they weren't allowed to be on juries. In fact, almost no one there was black at all in the courtroom. Uh, 81 days after he was arrested and charged with this, they brought him to trial. The trial lasted about two and a half hours, during which his white defense attorney, who had not worked a criminal case before, and who was going to be running for political office and needed votes in that area, did not present a single defense witness outside of Stinney. He didn't even cross-examine the police. Stinney says that he never confessed. Well, now we know he didn't do the crime. The police bring no evidence except they say, yeah, trust us, he confessed earlier. No cross-examination. The trial lasted two and a half hours. The jury took ten minutes to convict him. And then he was led uh, to death row in uh, Clarendon County, South Carolina. We actually have a picture of him being led to death row. Uh, Let me show you that. Uh, He was carrying a Bible. By the way, just if you're not absolutely clear yet uh, that he didn't do it. Uh, historian in 2004 took this case on and uh, investigated it further and found out that there was a wealthy white family in the area who said that the real culprit did a deathbed confession and said that he had killed the two young girls. And a member of that family was part of the process that picked Stinney as the real culprit. It's impossible to know now, looking back 70 years, who knew and didn't know what exactly happened. Really, they were sure that this 14-year-old had done it, this 90-pound 14-year-old. Did they care that someone else had done it and was going to get away with the murders? They didn't care. They strapped him into old Sparky. That's literally what the electric chair in South Carolina was called. And then... Just as the story is horrible, it's about to get worse. Since he was so young, uh, they couldn't strap him in right. They took the Bible he was carrying and made him use it as a booster seat. And then Joy James, an author, writes, the mask covering his face slipped off because the mask didn't fit. It was an adult's mask. Revealing his wide open Tearful eyes and saliva coming from his mouth. The first jolt had had not worked. After two more jolts of electricity, the boy was dead. His family was not at the execution. His family was not at the trial. Why? Because they told the family if you don't leave town immediately, we're going to lynch you all. You want to talk about terror? You know, we talk about terrorism today in America. This was true terror, and they weren't there for their 14-year-old boy. The Associated Press says the rest of the family didn't see the teen again until his funeral, when Stinney's body, burned from the electric chair, was put in an open casket. South Carolina has executed 289 people in the 20th century, and 82% of them were black according to the Death Penalty Information Center. This legacy is not just about George Stinney and what was done to him. Now, finally, the state of South Carolina says they were wrong. He didn't do it. That legacy continues to this day. Do you know that there were seven death penalty exonerations? Not in 1944. Today, in the year 2014. Seven people who were set to be executed, and it turned out they didn't do it. Let me show you the pictures of those seven folks. Yep, six out of the seven just happened to be African American. History rains down on us through the generations. This is not over In fact, for those guys who were on death row, it took on average 30 years to clear their names. 30 years they sat on death row when they were perfectly innocent. George Stinney was also perfectly innocent, but they needed a scapegoat. And in this country, especially in the South, when they needed a scapegoat, you always knew where they were going to turn. Doesn't mean things haven't gotten better but we're certainly not at the end of that process and we've all got to learn from this and work together to make a better system that works for all of us so that we can all proudly call it our justice system we're not there yet